Welcome to the Top Flight Podcast. Surprise! It's our last episode about the World Cup. So basically, long story short, I wrote a post back in March where where I pretty much wrote 100 things that I couldn't wait to see at the World Cup. And I was writing it, you know, sort of the reaction to it, the 100 things I saw at the World Cup. Turns out that the amount of tweets and YouTube videos I had, it was freezing a lot. And it was a lot of words. So I decided instead of the post... I'm going to do a little podcast sort of reacting to the 100 things that I wrote down in the post. So there will be um, on Twitter, if you follow us, at thetopflight.com um, or just at thetopflightfs, that's our Twitter handle. I will put a link to the post that I put in March as sort of a guide to this and uh, basically just going through the 100 things that I saw at the World Cup. This isn't going to be that long. I know it sounds like a lot, but a lot of them are going to be pretty quick. So let's just get this thing started. Starting off with number one, the opening ceremony. Of course, you had all the people dressed as the soccer balls. I know it's always a thing for soccer opening ceremonies. But the opening ceremony, really, the main headline, Robbie Williams flipping everyone off. I don't know why that happened. It just did. Number two, the instant Alexi Lalas hate on Twitter. We saw a lot of that. Uh, I just don't know why people just go after Lalas. I'm not a huge fan of his analysis and stuff, but they just go after him. And uh, it was pretty brutal. Uh, number three, several times Fox will mention the USA didn't qualify. They actually didn't mention it a lot. They mentioned it maybe once or twice, but it wasn't very frequent throughout their coverage. And obviously, this list was very U.S. broadcast focused. So for all you American listeners, I'm going to be talking a lot about how Fox broadcasts the World Cup. Uh, number four, Putin's entrance into Luzhniki Stadium for the opening game. He didn't really have an epic entrance. It just happened that he had those two microphones placed exactly where his, you know, where, where his pecs were. So that was kind of a fun placement there. With that, we move on to number five, the surprising entertainment of the Russia-Saudi Arabia game. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people thought that this game was going to be really boring, but it wasn't. Russia steamrolled Saudi Arabia 5-0. It was exciting to see five goals. It wasn't very competitive. Saudi Arabia played terrible, but... It was surprisingly entertaining. Next, we got Mo Salah v. Luis Suarez. We were robbed of this in the Egypt-Uruguay game, which was the second World Cup match because Mo Salah didn't play. He got injured when Sergio Ramos fell on his shoulder in the Champions League final. Suarez didn't even really play that well in that match. Uruguay won 1-0 late goal. Next up, Sepp Blatter saying how wonderful of a job Russia is doing as host. Uh, Now, he didn't do that. Blatter did take the Twitter to say that Morocco should host the World Cup in 2026. They were the logical decision that it was Africa's time to host the World Cup again, but he didn't mention that. He did, however, say how England should host the World Cup in 2030 to celebrate the centennial, to bring football back to where it was invented. And uh, I do actually agree with him on that. So let's move on to number eight, though. World Cup is fixed argument. Now, this was more common, this World Cup, than what we saw in World Cups past, 2002, Things are popping up with South Korea, but this time with you know with Russia getting to the quarterfinals, the fixed argument was starting up again. There was a story that came out that they were sniffing ammonia during breaks to sort of get their lung capacity higher, and they have uh, they fatigue uh, slower. But once Russia lost on that penalty shootout to Croatia, that was done. Moving on, the Morocco Iran game. Uh, I said this would be a zero zero. It was just about to be a zero zero until the own goal by. Uh, Buhadouz, I believe, uh, to win the game for Iran, straight of Gibraltar derby. Not a bad game. Morocco had some good chances, but not an incredible game. Next up, we have the National Geographic pieces about Russia. They're only 50 seconds each. Fox did this sort of deal with Nat Geo that they were going to do pieces about Russia. I don't think they did a very good job. They were 50 seconds each. They were maybe like eight the whole tournament. I thought ESPN did a much better job when it came to, you know, exploring the host country. 
and all that as we move on to number 11 john strong announcing now i'm not a huge you know fan of american accent soccer announcers but i think john strong did a pretty good job overall i still thought that espn's crew for announcers was better but i think john strong did did a fine job next i wrote all the shade kate abdo was gonna get about england from the whole fox crew didn't really happen that much because it's not like Kate Abdo got that much screen time. They kind of didn't use her as much as I wish they did. She only did, you know, for a three-day group game, three three games on one day for the group stage, she did one and a half games, and then Rob Stone did it. And then Rob Stone basically was the studio host for the entire knockout stage. So we didn't see a lot of shade to Kate Abdo, also because England did pretty well. Kelly Smith and Ian Wright were kind of the big English presence, the British presence in the Fox studio, so we didn't really see that. Now we have Ronaldo against Spain. That's number 13. Man, that was sick. Ronaldo scoring that hat trick against Spain, against some of his Madrid teammates. Great way to really kick the World Cup off to an exciting start. Number 14, De Gea officially proving he is the best keeper in the world. I was way off on this one. Really, really off on this one. He made one save. Uh, he had a howler against Portugal. And I don't think anyone thinks he's the best keeper in the world. Even Manuel Neuer had a bad tournament. I think a lot of people, I think Courtois had the best tournament winning the Golden Glove. Maybe he's the best keeper in the world now. I don't know. Next, Iceland population facts. Yep, I am the 15,000th person to tell you that Iceland is the size of Corpus Christi, Texas with a population of 300,000. They're small. And also their chant is awesome. The Viking chant is the best. That was my number 16 thing to that I couldn't wait to see. We only got to see it really once or twice after the Argentina draw and maybe at the end of the Croatia game. That was pretty much it. Next, talk of Messi being the GOAT if he wins the World Cup. Argentina wasn't even close to winning the World Cup. No one's even talking about Messi being the GOAT. He did take a picture with a GOAT before the tournament. I don't know why. And then Ronaldo sort of did a little banter with the goatee. I kind of like that a lot. But yeah, Messi is nowhere near the GOAT when it comes to international football. He's never going to win a World Cup. Next, we have N'Golo Conte and Paul Pogba playing together again. This is number 18. They were sick together. I mean, and Conte just lets Pogba play the enhanced advanced role that he so much enjoys playing, where he can do play defensive but can also attack a lot more. They were incredible together. Amazing to see as France were the champions. Number 19, reading the Iranian names. Man, I love the names of the Iranian team. <clears throat> you have like Biran Vand is the keeper. Reza Gushanejad was the striker. Ahmad Abdolazadeh. Just some awesome names from the Iranian team. That was really fun. Next, we have the uh, Sochi Olympic Stadium with a soccer pitch. Seeing that, really cool to see a former Winter Olympic Stadium host a World Cup game. Uh, joining Torino as the only Winter Olympic Stadiums to ever host a World Cup match. But the Sochi pitch was really bad, wasn't it? There was a lot of people slipping. It looked like the Winter Olympics all over again. We move on to number 21, Christian Eriksen versus Hugo Lloris. Now, Denmark played France in the group stage. Eriksen and Lloris uh, were supposed to play against each other. Lloris did not start. They started Steve Mandanda. Deschamps did because France had already clinched their spot into the next round. And it was the worst game of the tournament. It was 0-0. I said this will be one heck of a match. Wow, I was very wrong. There's a lot of stuff here that I get right, but there's a lot that I get wrong. Next, Spurs attack against Spurs defense. This was in um, in reference to Belgium playing England. We're going to see Alderweireld and Vertonghen go up against Kane and Ali. Didn't see that because the first time they played, all the subs were out. It was a horrible game. And even the second time they played, Alderweireld and Vertonghen and Kane and, and, and Kane played. Ali, I think, played a little bit, but it was a third-place match. No one cared, so we kind of got robbed to see those teammates really go at it full-on. Next, we have Croatia's midfield at number 23. I was hyping these guys up. I said Rakitic, Modric, Brozovic, and Kovacic might make up the best midfield in the world, and 
with Perisic, bring back the glory days of 1998. They did that and more. Croatia's midfield was incredible. Next, we have Brazil's resurgence. Now, they did better than they did in 2014, even though they got they got to the quarters this time and they got further in Brazil in 2014. But I don't think Brazil played that well in this tournament. I think they played better than they did in 2014, but still... Neymar is just going to be remembered for his flopping. Gabriel Jesus was a huge disappointment. Coutinho was their best player. Moving on to number 25, Panama's debut. Panama had the expected debut that we were thinking. Losing to Belgium 3-0, lost to England 6-1. It's going to be very hard for them to qualify for another World Cup, isn't it? Because the U.S. is going to get their act together and qualify out of CONCACAF. Number 26, we have peaceful fans. There was no hooliganism. There was nothing crazy going on in the stands. Everyone was peaceful. There was some fun chants to listen to. Just overall... It was a good tournament for everybody, and it seems that a lot of people really enjoyed their time in Russia. 27, the kits. There were a lot of cool ones. Honorable mention to the Croatia away kit, the uh, the sort of black and blue checkered pattern. I thought that was really cool, but obviously Nigeria won the kit cup, didn't they? Nigeria's you know Mario Kart boost kits, the home jerseys, and even the away ones, the black and the green emblem. Oh, those are so cool. Number 28, Zlatan coming back rumors. We heard some of them, but they were kind of cooling off weren't they i wrote this in march zlatan isn't going to unretire for the world cup he didn't and it turns out sweden has been better without zlatan ever since calls from around the world got a lot of fun calls from announcers all over the world at number 29 uh the one that stood out to me the most the russian announcer's reaction to when they beat spain go check that out just search for it on youtube number 30 colombia celebrations colombia had a fun little dance number after yeri minas header against senegal they sort of did like this wave kind of thing but the celebration of the tournament was during Senegal's warm-ups. They did this sort of, you know, bob and jab, clap. They were singing along. Look that up, too, because it was it was hysterical. Moving on, number 31, Poland v. Senegal. Uh, this was not a great game. Senegal won 2-1. Poland was really disappointing. You know, you had Mane against Lewandowski. Build is a really good match. It was in Moscow. It was in the beginning of the group stage. Not a very good game. Obviously, the refereeing mistake that led to the Niangle was kind of ridiculous. So, Poland v. Senegal was not that good of a game. Uh, England not wearing white every game. I called it that England would not wear white every game. They actually wore white three of their seven matches that they played. They wore red against Tunisia. They wore red the um, they wore red against Colombia. They wore red against Sweden. And they wore red against Belgium in the third place match. And they did pretty well in their reds. I like the England red better than the England white. And speaking of England, number 33, I put England actually being decent. Yep, this might be far-fetched, but it isn't crazy. Harry Kane led the line, maybe could help them to a quarterfinal. That's pretty much what I wrote. They might not suck. The keyword is might. And they did not suck in terms of their performance. They got to the fourth. They finished in fourth. They got to the semifinals for the first time since 1990. But I don't think their play was that amazing. I thought they could have played a little bit better. Not scoring many goals in open play was sort of disappointing. So I was kind of, you know, 50-50 on that one. Number 34, Edinson Cavani's last hurrah. The 31-year-old Cavani uh, started his World Cup just being unlucky, hitting the post crossbar a bunch of times in his first two games. Then he finally scored. He scored against Russia. He got his two against Portugal. Then he got injured. But I think this is probably going to be Cavani's last World Cup, isn't it? He's going to be 35 by the time you get to Qatar. I don't know if he's going to have the same kind of form as, you know, someone like Ronaldo might when he's 35. But I think Cavani... This might have been the last we saw of him in the World Cup, and he really showed how key of a piece he is to that team. So we go to number 35. Luis Suarez making headlines. He actually didn't make headlines. He didn't have a great World Cup. He scored two goals. The free kick against Russia, which was his second goal. The first one was against Saudi Arabia, the winner. He didn't have a handball off the line. He didn't bite anybody's ear. 
He hasn't done that in four years since he bit Chiellini in 2014, but Suarez was a little disappointing, uh, not going to lie. I thought I think his link-up play with Cavani was great, but I'd like to see him score a little bit more goals. Number 20, 36, the Kazan Arena. There's some great games in Kazan. Um, they hosted the World Aquatics Championships in 2014, and the stadium is beautiful. Uh, the first game they hosted was France and Australia, the uh, technology win. So that was Kazan, in my opinion, my personal favorite stadium. Number 37, Russian dolls that are soccer players. I was bang on on this one. This is the one that I am the most proud of predicting. Uh, this is the 37th thing I wrote down. They made a Ronaldo and Messi doll in Russia, a Russian doll. Look it up. It's amazing. Number 38, watch parties from Moscow. It was really cool to see the reactions from Moscow. It was also really cool to see the reactions from the rest of the world, especially the England fans, because basically whenever England scored a goal, I have a beer in my hand. Nope, I'm going to throw it in the air. And everyone did that. It looked like there was, you know, a beer storm happening every time England scored a goal. But yeah, the watch parties from Moscow look pretty cool. Number 39, I wrote uh, Maria Komanaya. I thought she added a lot to the broadcast, especially because Russia had such a deep run. She had some awesome reactions to Russia doing well. I thought she did a good job, but overall, sideline reporters are really underutilized by Fox. You didn't see as many side. You saw basically no sideline hits during the games because a lot of them were in L.A., but I thought Komanai did a good job. Number 40, I wrote the former U.S. players doing color commentary. Wasn't the biggest fan of Stu Holden. I thought Landon Donovan was going to do color because he was on the draw reaction video back in December. Instead, we got Kobe Jones. I don't think either of them did that great. Not huge fans of them, but they're not terrible. I thought Ali Wagner and Derek Ray, they were my favorite broadcast team out of any of them. Derek Ray has just always been a great announcer, and I thought Ali Wagner added a lot to the broadcast overall. Um, first woman to ever do World Cup color commentary in the United States, and that was just really cool to see. But shout out to Jenny Taft, who did interviews in France, in French, not France, in French. That was awesome. So let's move on to number 41, Fox being forced to root for Mexico. Uh, kind of. They kind of did. You know, you saw instead of, you know, in the Confederations Cup, Jorge Perez Navarro uh, called the Mexico games. This time around, most of the Mexico games were called by JP De La Camera, who was sort of the second announcing team. They were in Russia. Because the U.S. didn't make it, Mexico was kind of the home team for Fox because of the vast amount of Mexicans we have in the United States. It's a big population, and there's a, there's a good fan base of El Tree fans in the U.S. So I thought Mexico played pretty well. The next thing I wrote on the list was Mexico getting to the quarterfinals. Man, their first two games, they looked awesome. They looked like they were going to get to the quarterfinals, finally win around a 16 game. And then after losing to Sweden, it kind of went back to normal. So I would like to see Mexico get to the quarterfinals once, just one time. Uh, next, I have how Peru ends up playing. Peru was actually pretty good. Uh, they only scored two goals. They lost their first two games. They lost to France. They lost to Denmark, but they beat Australia. I thought if Peru was in an easier group, they would have done a lot better. So uh, sad to see Peru get knocked out in the in the group stage. Their fans are awesome. They played really well. Unfortunate for Peru. Next up, Belgium's chemistry problem being solved. Correct. It was solved. De Bruyne, Lukaku, Hazard, they played. They looked like they had played for their entire lives together. Finally, they looked good. Finally, Belgium's starters were actually doing something. This was the best we've ever seen this Belgium team play, especially under Roberto Martinez. Great, great tournament for Belgium coming in third. How Group H plays out, number 45. Man, I did not expect this group to play out the way it did. I knew it was going to be close. But I didn't think it would be that close. The team I predicted to finish last finished in second. The team I predicted to finish in first finished in last. But also the fact that the second place was determined by fair play points. That had never happened before. Japan getting through because they had two less yellows than Senegal. Insane. 
I did not expect it to play out like that. Moving on to number 46, Serbia defense against Brazil's offense. Sort of the tall versus small of the World Cup. Uh, it was pretty fun to watch. Not a great game, but Brazil won 2-0. Serbia kind of lost it. That Shakiri goal kind of ended their tournament, didn't it? So, yeah, not an amazing game to watch. Thought it would be better. Uh, 47, number of games on network TV in America. More than half of the World Cup games are on Big Fox in the United States. There's been a huge amount of strides being taken for soccer in this country. It's just amazing, or football, as some of you might call it. I'm starting to call it that a little more. But it was really awesome to see a lot of games on Big Fox. I still remember in 2006, you know, some of the World Cup games weren't even on TV. And uh, my dad would always tell me, you know, back in, you know, 90. 1990 or 1986 you know the games would never be on kind of thing or back when i had we had to purchase pay-per-view viewings of the european championships now every game is on in the u.s number 48 the time zones in russia yeah thanks russia for ruining my sleep schedule just kidding i wish it was back the world cup i still miss it and it's been five days uh yeah a lot of time zones in russia there's a lot of waking up early 6 a.m wake ups the 5 a.m wake up not fun but it was worth it uh, the mascot, Zabi Vaka, is a freaking wolf with sport goggles. I didn't really see much of him during the tournament. We didn't really see him on the sidelines on the camera. So we move on to the ball, the Telstar ball. One of my favorite World Cup balls, actually. I really like the simplicity of it. I also really like the fact that they had a completely new design for the knockout stage. They Instead of the black, it was the red. Sad that we did not get to see a final specific ball like we're used to seeing with the gold, like we saw with the uh, Brazuca in 2014 or the Jabulani in 2010 or the ball in 2006. I forgot what that was called. But Telstar, one of my favorite World Cup balls. I need to get myself one. We're halfway through already. Wow, it took us 17 minutes. Moving on to number 51. Which European team steps up for Italy and Holland? I think this one is pretty simple. The teams that stepped up were Croatia and England. I'm not going to say Belgium here or France because Belgium was expected to do really well. I don't think a lot of people had them finishing third, but they were expected to go far. If someone had to pick between Belgium, England, Croatia, you had to pick one team to make the semifinals. I think a lot of people would have picked Belgium. I would have picked Belgium too. I wrote sides like Serbia, Sweden, and Poland returned to the World Cup after some missed tournaments. They maybe could, you know, replace the Atsuri or the Orange. Sweden was the best out of those three. But I felt that Croatia and England sort of carried the load of those big European giants that weren't there. Uh, Holland has less of a chance of qualifying next time than Italy. I think Italy is going to be really good by the time we get to Qatar. Uh, 52, which South American team steps up for Chile? None of them did. It was a really bad World Cup for South America. It was really, really bad. Uh, they just did not play well. Um, no one performed above expectations. Most people performed below expectations, honestly. Probably the best South American team was Uruguay, who got to the quarters because a lot of people thought they would lose to Portugal or Spain in the round of 16. Brazil, get not getting to the semifinals, not winning at all is considered a bad tournament for Brazil. So, And they haven't won at all now for 16 years. Argentina, really bad. Peru, wish they could have got out of the group, but they didn't. And then Colombia, I think Colombian fans would have thought we can beat England. We should have beaten England. So go to number 53, the VAR. Yeah, it made a lot of noise, didn't it? A lot of VAR, a lot of box drawing from the referees. And my reaction to VAR is this. Use it for goals. It was used correctly. For mistaken identity, for cards, correct. Everything in that regard is right. But they need to change the way VAR is used for penalties because there were way too many penalties this year. And there was a lot of inconsistency on how the penalties were called because you have another set of referees in the VAR room making that decision. And you need 
to have referees that are on the same page because you could have a ref like in the Brazil Switzerland game that is never going to give a card and then you could have another ref who gives a lot of cards in the VAR room in the case of a penalty you could have guys who are more susceptible to call handballs so there needs to be a little bit more uh, of a chemistry between the head ref and the VAR ref but the way that I would change it is this give the coaches a challenge for a penalty kick you get one challenge for the entire match like, for example, in the France-Croatia game, you saw the handball from uh, Croatia in the box on Perisic. Give Didier Deschamps a chance to say, hey, I want to challenge this penalty to see if it was a penalty. Because you cannot have the players and the coaches basically running around the ref and saying, hey, draw the box, do the VAR. So that's my reaction to VAR. Overall, I think it needs more testing, but it was pretty good. Next up, the Germany-Mexico match, number 54. Pretty good game. Uh, Mexico winning, obviously. Huge upset. Did not see that coming. Um, even despite the fact that Germany's B team beat them 4-1 in the Confederations Cup last year. So Germany-Mexico, pretty good game. Exciting to watch. Uh, missed the very end of it, but it was a really good game. Uh, camera catching Yogi Love doing something naughty. I don't have to explain this to you people. Just look it up on your own. I don't know why, but he does some things that are really weird on the sideline, but I'm not going to elaborate. Moving on. 56, the potential of Switzerland. Uh, they didn't really reach that potential, did they? I thought Switzerland were going to look a lot better. They look good against Brazil defensively, but they, you know, sat back the entire game. They didn't get a lot of chances. Had those last goals against Serbia. That was really their best game. Disappointing tie against Costa Rica. Lost to Sweden in a horrible game. They were terrible there. Still can't get past the round of 16, huh? So Switzerland has some work to do. 57, the youth of Nigeria. They were the youngest team at the tournament, and they were kind of the most the team that was really tipping the scales during their matches. They were really bad against Croatia, really good against Iceland, and then they were like, yeah, against Argentina. Wish they could have done better. I would have liked to see them get into the round of 16 over Argentina, especially for the fact that we had no African teams make it into the round of 16 the first time that has happened in, you know, since I think 86, 82 was the last time it didn't happen. So, yeah, Moses was pretty good. Inacho and Iwobi could have been a little bit better. Ahmed Musa was their main man, so wish Nigeria did better. Moving on to the flags. I just like flags. That's why I wrote it. I like flags a lot. Moving on. 59, the emotional national anthems. Now, Italy usually is the best team when it comes to national anthems, and that was kind of unfortunate, but I think Peru and Panama really stole the show with the singing and the harmonizing and just everything about that. But the best national anthem is the Uruguay national anthem. Just that the beginning, you know, interlude, the intro... About a minute long. So awesome. And then I wrote 60, especially the Russian anthem is going to be, uh, I can't wait to see. Um, It was not bad. The players were kind of, you know, stern-faced, didn't really have a lot of emotion behind their singing, sort of like a Buffon did with Italy. But it was really cool to see the fans singing it, and just in general, the Russian anthem, a very, uh, very good anthem, just solid composition. Moving on to number 61, Ronaldo can have his best World Cup. He did goal-wise, but I don't think his play was the best. He only played four games this tournament. He scored four goals. All came in the first two games. But in the run of play, he didn't really have a lot of chances, did he? He forced a couple shots. Defenses figured him out, and the Portuguese midfield could not get him the ball. I think Ronaldo's best World Cup definitely was 2006. He had a huge impact on that Portugal team. He played in. He played on the wing instead of, you know, sort of as a striker. So his role was a little bit different. But I thought that was his best World Cup and still is. Uh, we'll see if we see Ronaldo again. I think we'll see Ronaldo again for one more tournament in Qatar. 
Now he's on Juventus and pretty much stole the headlines the same day France played Belgium. 62, the thought of a Ronaldo v. Messi quarterfinal. Now this was a possibility because Portugal and Argentina both came in second. If they both had won their games, we would have seen Ronaldo play Messi in a quarterfinal. If the match did happen, I say I would have said Portugal would win, but the way those two teams played, I don't think any of us wanted to sit through that game because both teams were not good at all. 63, Neymar proving he could be the best in the world right now. Ha! I was very wrong on this one. Neymar had his moments where he looked amazing. He scored twice. He had some nice skill moves, but come on. The guy was known for this tournament for having noodle hair and for basically diving a lot and flopping. The, the freaking Neymar challenge was developed because of how much he was rolling around and whatever. So, yeah. Neymar did not prove he's the best in the world right now. Not even close. 64, Mo Salah showing he is no fluke. I think he did in the sense that he was the only player on Egypt that did anything. He scored both their goals, even though he looked completely disinterested in the games. I mean, Egypt was a huge disappointment. If there was one team that I would say performed way below expectations, it has to be Egypt. To be one of only two teams in this World Cup to not get a point, and everyone said how Egypt could potentially make it out of the round of to the round of 16 i had them coming out of the group because of mo Salah, but i think his injury definitely didn't help and he was contemplating international retirement don't know if it's going to happen but i don't think salah showed he's no fluke i just think he had the injury and he was playing in meaningless in meaningless games 65 the hairstyles we had some cool ones obviously the beard style of ronaldo was the the big talking point but the neymar noodle hair wins it for me that hairstyle was just ridiculous glad he cut it off quickly 66 harry kane not taking set pieces yeah England, 2016 Euro under Roy Hodgson. Some of the worst set pieces I've ever seen one team take in an entire tournament. I mean, they were atrocious. The free kicks were awful, except for the Eric Dyer one against Russia. Harry Kane was taking corners for some odd reason, and they were all shanks. But England improved on it two years later. 75% of their goals were set pieces. Harry Kane took four of the best, probably the four best penalties at this World Cup and proved that he can take a penalty, but... Thank God he wasn't on free kicks or corners or uh, crossing free kicks. So, good thing there. 67, people realizing that Jordan Shakiri is too good to be playing for Stoke. I think, overall, he did prove that he is too good to be playing for a relegated team and playing in the championship. He got the winning goal against Serbia, took his shirt off, did the double eagle for the Albanian significance, and now he's on Liverpool. I think he's going to play a big part for Liverpool. 68, the rising stars. Um... We didn't have a clear-cut one this time around like we did in 2014 with Thomas Rodriguez or Thomas Muller in 2010. Killing Mbappe, you could say, was the big rising star because now the whole world really understands how good he is. But Kylian Mbappe made his name in the Champions League with Monaco in that one run when he scored in every knockout game. Uh, some of the other rising stars, got to give a shout-out to Harry Maguire, Jordan Pickford, Yerry Mina, Denis Chiroshev, I'll say, should be considered in that. So there are a lot of rising stars in this tournament. Number 69, a team imploding. Oh, this is easy. It's Germany, isn't it? I said it could be England or Argentina. I mean, Germany didn't even cross my mind to have an implosion. It didn't even cross my mind that Germany would finish last in the group, but they did. Germany's the team implosion of this World Cup. Argentina and Spain, a very close second. Number 70, the biggest question mark team, Japan. They surprised us. I think Japan really surprised us. And I said that they will surprise us no matter how well or poorly they play. And they played pretty well. Three of their four games, they looked great. They looked awesome against Colombia. They did play against 10 guys. They had great attacking play against Senegal. And then they were so close to beating Belgium. And then Belgium just had the comeback of the century. So Japan surprised us by playing really well. 
as we've got, uh, I think, 30 more things to go. Let's keep this going. Number 71, Germany's depth. Ha! What a joke. Why didn't they take Leroy Sané? Moving on. Number 72, the official song. So there were two. You had the Coca-Cola anthem, which was the Jason Derulo color song, which if you play FIFA 18 and have the World Cup download, every time you open the World Cup expansion thing, it would play that song. And it grew on me. It's catchy. And then you have the uh, the song with Will Smith rapping. That's the official, official song. That one's pretty catchy, too. The the lick is catchy. Uh, 73, I wrote Wave and Flag montages on YouTube. Um, Wave and Flag is the Canon song. That was the Coca-Cola anthem for the 2010 World Cup. That is still the best World Cup song, in my opinion. And there were there aren't any 2018 montages, but you should look up those montages because they're epic. 74, pro athletes hot takes on the tournament. Yeah, a lot of pro athletes you know, took to Twitter to talk about the World Cup. I mean, you had Rafael Nadal at Wimbledon asking the guys what happened in the football, what happened in the football during Wimbledon. Serena Williams tweeted basically while England was beating Sweden, there's something different about this Wimbledon, huh? Because guess what? Serena had never played in a Wimbledon in a World Cup year where England actually did something. So that was kind of cool. But the funniest Twitter reaction had to be from the German NBA players who basically were very depressed after Germany lost to South Korea. Dirk Nowitzki, Mo Wagner, I'm looking at you. Sorry, guys, but they just didn't make it out of the group stage. 75, I wrote landscape, landscape shots of Russia, if I can speak. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, those are really cool. Check them out. Really awesome pictures. Really, really beautiful. Russia is a very beautiful country. Uh, number 76, the talk of Qatar 2022. It was officially confirmed a few days ago that the World Cup will be in November, December of 2022, which is a joke. It's going to be interesting to be watching World Cup games early in the morning while I'm in my long sleeve shirts and my, you know, my coats and there's snow outside and there's NFL and NBA and college basketball happening, but it's going to be the case. I don't think it's going to move, even though football manager says it's going to move every time I simulate it. But yeah, it's going to be in the winter. It's going to be weird. 2077, the decision of the 2026 World Cup, the day before the opening match, the U.S., Mexico, and Canada won the bid. And I'm so happy they did. I'm going to that World Cup no matter what I'm doing, whether as a, as a journalist, God willing, or as a fan. North America is hosting the World Cup in 2026. 48 teams. I cannot wait. Speaking of 48 teams, figuring out how a 48-team tournament would work, number 78 on my list. I did sort of some mock draws because I'm a loser, basically. Um, and I, I saw some really cool matches there. And this World Cup really proved... That even with the smallest nations, you can have some really good games and you never know what to expect. So even if you had a group with the U.S., Syria, and Morocco, it would still be exciting to watch. Even though the U.S. should probably be winning that group. Or you could be stuck with a serious group of death with like Brazil and Holland or Italy and Germany based on the rankings we have now. I cannot wait for a 48-team tournament because there's going to be more games. 79, how Group D plays out. This was my group of death and it proved that it... I don't think it proved it was the group of death in the sense that the teams all played really well because only one of the teams in Group D, Croatia, had a good tournament. Nigeria, Iceland, and Argentina all did not have good tournaments. But the way this group played out was incredible. You had the Rojo winner at the end. Croatia was perfect, beating Argentina in that big game. The Argentina-Iceland draw was awesome to see. It was an exciting group for sure. 80, can Costa Rica avoid being a one-tournament wonder, I asked? And the answer is no, they did not because... They were not good. They lost their first two games. Keylor Navas only conceded three goals on a free kick and some, you know, easy six-yard box shots from Coutinho and Neymar. Costa Rica did not prove it. Lucky they got a point, though. Nice to see them get a point. Number 81, the emotion of a penalty shootout. The penalty shootout continues to prove that it is the most gut-wrenching 
thing in sports, and it is just an incredible sight. The the parallels, the differences of emotion during a shootout. There were four of them. Two of them featured Russia and Croatia in them. The England one was probably the most emotional, just to see the England fans, the England players break the curse finally and win a penalty shootout. That was crazy. Even though the U.S. Was, wasn't in the World Cup or in any of the shootouts, every shootout, my heart's in my throat. It's just gut-wrenching stuff. 82, Thomas Muller going for the record. Lull, he didn't even score. Next one. Number 83, the simultaneous group games. Got the two TVs set up in my living room, and this World Cup, we had the best third round of group games of all time. Groups A, C, E, and G. Not the most exciting endings, but there were some you know good endings in those groups. You had the Saudi Arabia late winner against Egypt, um, the one nil nil, the Panama Tunisia game, which we'll get to. Uh, but the even lettered groups were amazing. Group B: Spain and Portugal flip flopping spots because of VAR. Then you had the incredible uh, Group D: Rojo winner, Germany getting knocked out, and then the fair play points in Group H. Incredible. 84, the four games on June the 16th, the 12 straight hours of soccer definitely delivered. You had France-Australia, the technology game for France. You had the Argentina-Iceland game, a draw. Peru-Denmark, not bad. And then Croatia-Nigeria was pretty boring. So it was a pretty good day, pretty exciting. 85, the face paint. Uh, saw some cool face paint out there. Some guys with, you know, half Brazil flags on half their face. Always love seeing what the fans do during the World Cup. 86, the chance. Uh, we saw we didn't really see too many creative chants. We just saw the French one with N'Golo Kante basically uh, shutting down Messi that the French players are doing. But I liked how every time Belgium scored, they did the Will Griggs on fire tune, which is a song actually called Freed from Desire. And also England singing It's Coming Home and the World Cup song itself. So we had some cool chants. Number 87, I discussed the Luge Nikki Stadium joining an exclusive club of stadiums to host a World Cup final. Very cool stadium. It was jam-packed. The outside of it was awesome. And, you know, it hosted a lot of great games, too. So Illusioniki was great, including they had the opening game win, the Mexico win, a lot of stuff. Really cool. 88, switching between the World Cup and Wimbledon. This was fun towards the end of Wimbledon. Wimbledon was okay this year. The women's bracket was nuts because the top 10 seeds all got out before the quarters. Uh, switching, you know, you had the Kevin Anderson, John Isner marathon, but it was cool to be switching between tennis and soccer. It always is. 89, the giant upset. What was the giant upset? It was Russia beating Spain. Bigger than Mexico, Germany. It's got to be Russia beating Spain. No one even had an idea that Spain was going to lose to Russia, and they really shouldn't have. Number 90, the route. What was the route of this World Cup? I said France was going to beat Peru 9 nothing. Wow, I'm an idiot. Um, they beat them one nothing, so I was eight goals off. But the route of the tournament had to be England over Panama. That, for me, was the one because they scored five of their goals in the first half. They probably could have scored ten if they wanted to. Russia-Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia played bad. That was probably the second biggest route. But we didn't have any, like, humongous score lines like 7-1 last time. And finally, to the final ten things. Number 91, the closing ceremony. Didn't even see it. Moving on. Number 92, Panama v. Tunisia. I thought it was going to be the game of the century. And it was a better game than England-Belgium. I was correct in that assumption. Tunisia won 2-1 on a late winner from Kazri. Not a bad game, but it was better than England-Belgium. Number 93, did I mention Iceland? I did, they didn't play well. Moving on. Number 94, a France v. Argentina round of 16 match. I said that in March. And everyone's thinking maybe Argentina's going to win the group. It's Argentina. Nope. They came in second. They played France. 
And it was a great game. It was an amazing game. France beat Argentina 4-3. It was a goal fest. Fun to watch. Amazing. Number 95. The stats on how more people watched the World Cup than the Super Bowl. When the numbers come out, it will show that the World Cup has way more viewers than any other sporting event. People who doubt that, you're living under a rock. You need to look at the numbers. There's a big difference. I mean, the 2014 World Cup final had a billion people watching it. So 2018 is going to have a similar amount. Number 96, the diplomats attending. Now, this was amazing. We had so many good diplomatic banter moments. In day one, we had Putin's grin. That was just hysterical to the Saudi prince every time Russia scored. Then you had uh, the Croatian president coming into the mix with Medvedev in the quarterfinal. But then the best was seeing uh, uh, Macron, the, the French president, basically standing up on the table and celebrating the French World Cup. And basically seeing Macron and the Croatian president basically become best friends overnight. And during that final, they were hugging each other. You know, they had their arms around each other. They were kissing the trophy together. It was pretty hysterical. So that was kind of fun to see and really cool. Uh, 97, the EA Sports FIFA World Cup DLC. Not a bad DLC. I enjoyed playing it. Still am going to play it a little bit, but honestly, I preferred the full game. I like the fact that you can play as any country and do sort of a fake World Cup with all the different countries. Or scoring 55 goals with Ronaldo against Bermuda. Number 98, the final. The biggest single match in sports delivered. This was the best World Cup final I saw. France beating Croatia 4-2. Amazing game. The trophy ceremony number 99, it is the most spectacular trophy ceremony. It was, it was, there were so many funny moments during it. It was just so fun to watch. The rain, um, seeing the, the Croatian president and Macron kiss and hug everybody. Putin having the one guy hold the umbrella over him was hysterical. And then just seeing the guy celebrate, especially Benjamin Mendy sliding with the trophy. Way to go, Benjamin Mendy. Uh, the guy that doesn't do any work in a group project but still gets an A+. He played maybe 100 minutes of football this year. He's a Premier League and World Cup champion now. And finally, number 100. I can't wait for the best month of every four years. I can't wait for Qatar 2022. I know that the host, the country itself has had some things going on around it when it comes to the hosting. And the host was probably won through corruption, but... Once the games start, you kind of forget all that. It goes under. It goes, you know, underneath what you're thinking, and the World Cup is just the best thing in the world. It's the best sporting event. I can't wait to see the next one in a little less than 1,600 days. Got a while now. So that's it. Thanks for listening to this. All 38 minutes of me talking about the things that I couldn't wait to see. And uh, be sure to keep up with the top flight podcast we are going to start doing our epl season previews and more also go to the topflight.com to check out some awesome transfer stories preseason content and more the epl season is three weeks away we cannot wait for it but that is gonna close the book on the world cup thank you for listening here i am Ori benatar make sure to tune in next time on the top flight podcast